Ta ping. Push. Come on, come on, load, 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 load. Yes, 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 yes. We're in, we're in. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. Do the questions on. Load, 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 load. Why isn't this loading? Come on, you bastard. I think I'm live. Yes, I am. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to another Vision Friday. I'll just go up the top. Tim Han, first on from Dorset. David Hartburn, uh, Annette Garrett, Scott McDonald from Boston, uh, Christian Habel, Giffon Germany, Peter Van Elgden from Brilla Holland, Victoria, hello Harrison, hello again, Neil Quarrell from Southampton, Mandy Brain, good evening from a cold Northamptonshire, Andrew Evans, Mansfield, Jim Hedra, the snow, the snow is six inches. Gary Allen, Thomas Mercer, Mr. Jambo, David Hardley from York, Tim Sycamore again, Bonnet Pontefract, Kenny T, hiya, Karen Brown, here we go again, Kid Terry Cook, Wolfgang Trimmel from Bad Holmberg in Germany, Andrew Green from Dartford, Liam Ramsey, Philip Mash in South Staffordshire, Chris Harris, hello again, mate, done that. We are the right way around. Look at this! Now I've got to get this bit every time I do a movement, I've got to remember that I'm the wrong way around myself. You're the right way around, I'm the right way around, but here I'm not. It's all very confusing, right? So, good evening. And you can even read the writing on the glass. Erdinger, alcohol fry, good evening from Fish and Friday. I was blown away, I couldn't believe it. it was like, we were sitting, this is number 45 tonight. 45, as somebody said, that's a record. <laughs> that was very good. 25, that's a record. That's a single record. Single on Valentine's Day. No. Not quite Valentine's Day, but the show will reflect this. I can't believe it. This, I've never, I don't think there's ever been as as, uh, as, as close a run to um, as we had on the votes um, tonight. So I decided to play both of them. And, um, it was interesting that, you know, some people actually missed the kind of, well, I'll be playing another one, which is obvious. And, uh, and everybody's going, cliche, play cliche. Yes, I'll play cliche tonight. So, uh, so there's quite a few songs. Let's try the vape. God, this is my old Cyrus. I didn't even zook it in. <coughs> yeah, I'm back. Oh. It's been one of those weeks, one of those days as well. It was like, 
I got up today and I was up pretty early and I, I've now got my, my diary and I write in all the to-dos and things that people to phone and things to do and people to email and people to pay and stuff. And I, it was it was quite empty the first thing in the morning and then it just filled. And then it was like I had a load of big emails to write off and things to talk. I've, I've made an approach to somebody in Holland about um, the possibility of um, setting up a kind of mail order distribution point over there because um, it's been it's been nuts like this last week dealing with everything and of course being the, the king of tech <laughs> so Monday morning I, I, I was told like I was doing the, the sky breakfast uh, the sky breakfast thing you know live to the nation <laughs> and it's the problem is at the moment it's that everybody that wants to do interviews and people that want to do things broadcast things right We've not settled down on anything that's kind of like a normal way to do it. It's like, you know, Microsoft TeamViewer, it's Zoom, it's Skype, it's something else and something else, you know. And uh, it's, it gets really confusing. I get daunted. I don't get nervous about the actual interview and uh, I, I don't get that nervous about that at all. But it's just the tech. <laughs> and sure enough, you know, I was up at seven o'clock in the morning on Monday, which was ridiculous for me in these days, right? And uh, I, I got the whole thing, you know, did it. Please go to here. This, and it says, this is your passcode. This is your name. This is your reference number. This is it. Please go on at 20 past eight to make sure that your tech's all right. And I'm going, oh, and I, I, my heart starts beating. And I had a big coffee, big, a big cup, a big beer coffee, you know, right at the start just to get me fired up. And, uh, and I'm 8, 19, I was like, ching, bing, buff up, no password required, straight in. Hello, this is Sky, Sky Production Office. Hi, how are you doing? Everything's good, can we test it? Microphone on, camera on, everything's fine, dandy. And um, the guy that I was doing it with, uh, I think it was Pete from uh, Radiohead, it was, uh, he wasn't he there, right? <laughs> and I'm sitting there at 25 past and there's, there's no guy from Radiohead. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be on my own. I'm thinking, may all get a bit longer to say what I have to say. And right at the last minute, up he pops. And he's got a really kind of, the lights are all perfect in his, where he's coming from, right? Because so, so, he obviously must have roadies living next door or something. Right? And, uh, and I'm sitting there and he goes on, and the, hello, it's just Sky Production, you know, blah, blah, blah. Everything's okay. Yeah, 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 it was good, good. My face is up on the little camera square on the, on, on the, the, the screen on the PC. I'm going, doddle, this is it, rock on. And uh, going to the advert break now, and we'll be right back, back with you. Um, it was, what was his name? Uh, was Liam or something. Uh, not Liam. Uh, Neil. Neil, right? Neil will be with you from the studio in just a minute, right? And then he goes, jink, right? And then up his face comes, and I can see my face on the screen in the studio, right? And I'm going like, mm, and I cannot hear a thing from the studio. And they hadn't put the feed in from the studio to my end, right? And I couldn't hear the question he was asking. And I'm just sort of looking and I've seen, you know, you've seen it, right? You've seen these guys being interviewed and like, there's no sound. So one yesterday, right? And you're staring, you go, what do you do? <laughs> you just gotta look calm and composed and go, uh, I, don't, I don't have a studio feed, right? And you try to go, I don't have a studio feed. I don't have a studio feed. Uh, alive in Britain, I don't have a studio feed. I don't know what anybody's saying. And I'd, and I'd worn this, I wore my, my good, my good uh, turtleneck. Right? 
I thought, you know, it would look good with a beard and stuff, right? And, uh, and you could see them all talk, see them all talking in the studio and there's nothing. And then, so, and then, and then up it comes. <laughs> Lavender, oh, I've gone off for fuck's sake. And it was like, and Dave Barris, right? My mate Dave Barris had driven all the way there on the Saturday because we were trying to find, they said, we need some live footage of you, right? And I couldn't find any live footage. I mean, we've not filmed a show for a while. I mean, there's loads of stuff on YouTube, but like, there's nothing kind of broadcast quality. And the only thing I, I could find that was anything decent was uh, the, the Amsterdam uh, Paradiso show from 2005. And I was really wanting to get internal Excel for obvious reasons, but um, I couldn't. So I decided the best next one to go for was Big Wedge. I thought Big Wedge would be suitable. So, you know, Big Wedge is on the, the, the child of DVD and Dave, Bless his little heart. He drove all the way down, right, from Edinburgh, picked it up, went back with it all, and uh, and and sent the, the the clip of Big Wedge, which was that was a pretty decent clip. You know, it was Paradiso, it was Europe, it was Amsterdam, it was a full house, it looked good, you know, proper production. And um, and they used bloody lavender. I, you know, it's like I'm on the I'm on TV, right? I'm shining, right? Because there's no makeup girl available, right? And I'm shining on, on the on things, no hair. And there's me on the screen from a, a 1985 clip, right? So, yeah, and then it was the usual kind of like, you know, ex in front man. Oh, why did you mention that? And it's, um, and of course, as I said, I missed the first one. And then they interviewed uh, the bass player and then came back, back to me. And it was kind of, it was like two minutes, three minutes. And you're trying to get as much as you can into this thing. And suddenly it was all over. And it was like, I, I, you know, you're like, <laughs> just the whole adrenaline rush, just an incredible adrenaline rush. And it was, uh, you know, and that was it. That was my little time in Sky. And then at half past nine, they did the kind of, you know, well, let's go back and, and take little chunks and sound bites out of the, the previous hour and stuff. And was I on it? Was I hell, right? So it was like, oh yeah, Radiohead. And yeah, it kind of irritates me, but not as much as when I saw the guy from The Darkness, or I can't remember, was it Justin or whatever his name is? The singer of The Darkness being interviewed in Zurich, right? And let me just get this sorted out. This is important, right? It's a really important thing. And, you know, and I've been learning and, as I said, going down and finding things in rabbit holes because it's important to get this message across to the UK government that we need to get this sorted out, right? Uh, Justin Hawkins, is it, is it Justin Hawkins? And, um, and it was like, but one o'clock of the news, up comes the boy for the darkness. And, you know, and he was just babbling. <laughs> and it was like, we have huge opportunity here to really get our message over. And it's like, they went to the guy for the darkness and it's like, well, how many thousands of miles? Oh, I don't know how many miles we travel. Don't know how this works. Not really sure about that. We have people that do that. And it's like, it's not what we want to be getting over. And, uh, and after, this was after I'd done the, the Parliamentary Advisory Committee, which was another like horrendous heart pumping moment, you know, because I'm going on with all these kind of um, very respected kind of professionals. And um, it was the same thing. I had kind of, I, I was given three minutes to, to say what I had to say. And, um, 
it was it was the same. You know, this is the way we're going to do this. There's your code. There's your entrance thing. This is your password. This is the... <laughs> and I got on it and I'm sitting there waiting and, you know, I got my three minutes. And I sat and watched the entire kind of uh, two-hour programme. Uh, well, the two-hour... This is the one in the morning. Uh, and then there was the other one in the afternoon, which was, a, a, again, part of the parliamentary committee discussion. Like the... And... Um, and it was interesting hearing what everybody was saying and it was a lot of really valid points and a lot of things that I was finding out. Because, I mean, this is what it's all about. It's trying to find out what's happening, what the rules are, what do you have to do, which hoop do I have to jump through, which is the next hoop I've got to jump through. So anyway, parliamentary advisory thing goes by. Then I've got Justin on the, on the Sky News going like, you know, I don't know what we do. You know, it's like, well, yeah, well, people do that for us. And the, the guy said, the guy that was interviewing him said, well, you know, Kennelly, surely you must have, you can pay people to do this, right? And he said, oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you can pay people to do this. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, just to put it in context, you know, I spent over 200 quid yesterday on a, a, a Zoom meeting with my accountants in Edinburgh. And I was talking to the Brexit guys in Edinburgh that talk, were talking about VAT and reciprocal tax boring shit, right? For you, it's boring shit, right? For me, it's fundamental stuff for touring, right? And uh, I spent 200 quid and, you know, at the end of it, they said, thanks very much. You seem very well informed about what's going on. And, and uh, you know, and as for the rest of it, uh, we'll just have to see how it goes. And they said to, they said to me, they're, they're great guys, really good guys, and, and they're incredibly sympathetic. And they, they kind of said, well, you know, it can go either this way and we can either spend money trying to work out how to do this, but it's all going to change. <laughs> it's all going to change and you're going to have to do all, you might have to do this, right? This. <laughs> I mean, 200 quid, right? And, and that's what we're up against at the moment. And then, you know, you got, like, like I said, the guy for the darkness, like, that had a, a you know, he's on at peak time. And he had a chance to actually go bang and deliver, this is what the problem is, and let people like yourselves understand what we're dealing with. And he didn't. And, uh, but it was just names, it was just sound bites and people, you know, just you know, celebrities that, pe that people know, you know? So it was, uh, Peter, get off my line, man. Right? And um, so there was all that going down. And, uh, and it, it's another thing, I was going to post it up. <laughs> Tech, 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 tech. My car phoned me up, right? He's like, <laughs> I was in the car and I was going down to the co-op and I've got my phone in. And when you put, you, you, you walk into the car with your phone, it goes, the car's connected, right? And it's, it's like that dumb car in the, the, the American TV series, you know, like, you know, take me to here, right? The car phoned me up and it, it, I couldn't switch it off, right? It wasn't saying anything. It just came up on the dashboard as being Derek, phone call from Derek Dick, right? I'll, put, I'll post the video later, right? Phone call from Derek Dick on the, on the display screen in the Skoda. And I'm going like, what? And I pressed, it's, it's got, I had the red phone thing to disengage the call. And I pressed it and it wouldn't disengage it. And it, the car phoned me up for five and a half minutes, right? And I got my phone out and it didn't even show on the phone that it was on a call. <laughs> but the car was calling me. It was like that magic black car. I can't remember what it's called. And it's like, fuck. Right? 
And I, st- I don't know. And I'm going to have to write, I'm going to have to get in touch with Scott. I go, why is the car calling me? I didn't ask the car to call me. It's an unwanted call. And if I find it on my phone, I'm going to block the Skoda. Block it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's been absolutely nuts. And, uh, and the snow. <laughs> I don't know. I need to blow my nose. Damn, I've got a hanky. Oh, bollocks. Oh, well, red rack. So I was like, the snow hit. <laughs> I love it. And I, I like the snow. I like watching the snow. And I like the way that it cleans up the whole garden. And the way you can... You wake up in the morning and you look out and there's none of the shit lying about on the, in the garden. All the weeds are all covered up. All the beds, lovely shapes and little bumps and globes and humps and depressions. And it's, it's great. Well... And I like driving it. When I had the Volvo, it was my, it was my Tiger. Um, and, and I've got winter tyres on the Skoda, but it ain't. With a Volvo, when I was out in the snow, I swear, you could hear it purr, right? You could actually hear this thing going, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is me. This is what I was made for, right? Big tyres. I love that sound. When you're going across fresh on that... And this Volvo just sat there. The Skoda, you sit there going like, yeah, bastard. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and I knew the vinyl was coming from from Holland, or it was coming from Czechland, right? And I'd filled in all the forms, and it was like, you know, da-da-da, there's my phone number, there's my email, please contact me, let me know when all this is going to happen. And Profact, who have been great with everything, right? They (laughs) They put everything across to this other company. And the company's supposed to be sending me a bill that I've not had yet. And it was all coming in, like, and it was like, yeah, it's coming into the UK, when, right? And the snow hit, and I went, there's no way, you know, they're gonna phone up and they're gonna ask. And if they phoned up, I was gonna say, look, leave it for a couple of days, cause it's a bit heavy here. And where I live is at the top of a hill. I do have a view from a hill. It's not a huge hill. It's more of a kind of, like a big bump. Right, but it's still got a slope that comes up, and there's this slope out the, the the on that side, the main drive, and then there's the back one that's got a really kind of like little rise on it, you know. And um, I was I was here, and I was in my dressing gown, right. I mean, I don't, I I do the Japanese bit every day, right. I'll get up at about maybe nine, between nine and 10. Right? That's what I do. Cause there's no point in me getting up earlier because nobody else that I work with is up before 10. Right? All the, it's a classic. It's one of the reasons why I got, I got into the music business. There's nothing to do with women or money or anything. I can sleep in late, right? I love it. Ever since I was a kid, right? I love sleeping in, a, in the morning. I like just this, me in the morning. And, um, I was in my dressing gown and I answered the door and there was a guy there goes, got a load for you, mate. And I'm going, fuck no. <laughs> and I said, this is, it's a 16 tonner. I'm going, this isn't an Amazon order. <laughs> this isn't the 200 peat pots that I've ordered for the greenhouse. This is something a bit larger. It's just, I've got four pallets for you, mate. I'm going, oh no. And I hadn't really got the garage in order, right? So, uh, and he, he, the guy says, I've got a 16-tonner, right, which you can't get round the corner out of the two roads that come up, right? 
that one, the one on the right hand side, is where all the kind of utility trucks come up, like you know the gas truck and the 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 refuse trucks and stuff like that. They all come up that road, and they, you, well, if you come up that road, you can get round the corner, right? But if you come up the other road, the main road, right? Simon Hanhart Goey, right? And if you come up the other road, right? It's um you can't get round the corner. So he'd come all the way up to the corner, to the, the corner you can't get round. So he had to reverse all the way down. He was brilliant. The guy was brilliant. He came from Armadale. And he, I had to walk all the way down the hill, right? So I'm walking, I got out of my dressing room, by the way. I got into my good kegs, right? Got the boots on, got the mask on. And uh, <clears throat> I'm down the hill. And all where the containers are, where we normally put stuff, there was, it was like completely snowed in. And we were going to have to go for the garage. And uh, so <laughs> the guy took the run up the road. And, uh, and I'm, well, he did give me a lift, right? Because he went, he went by me at speed. And he went all the way up the road, right? Got up to the top of the hill and I'd opened up the garage and I had to shift a couple of flight cases and how there was bags of cement, right? So I'm out there lifting bags of cement at 10 o'clock in the morning, like humping the way to, to get the space for the pallets, going like, please fit in this garage, because if they didn't, we were into the containerville and it would have been a case of hand stacking individual boxes of vinyl across in the snow to the container, because we wouldn't have got the pallet. And this guy was brilliant, and he put the truck up, reversed in, we'd make enough space, and we just got these four pallets of vinyl in, right? And then, of course, he had to get out, and he didn't want to risk going round the corner, so he decided to go back down the hill again. So he reversed, and I knew what was going to happen, right? And he reversed the truck, and of course, wee, right? And because of the diff on the 16-tonner, it wasn't engaging at all. So we were putting wood underneath the wheels, trying to do the ice cold and Alex bit, you know. If you've seen that film, you know exactly what I'm on about. And um, and luckily it was Drew and John, my two neighbours, came out and they picked up a couple of shovels and uh, um, they were digging out the snow and we'd already had to dig out the front of the garage. And we eventually got the truck away and it was like, but it was just, it was a bloody nightmare. It was like I didn't expect the pallets, but it's all done. <laughs> They're here. Now I've got 5,000 uh, 5, standards um, coming at me in the next week, again from Holland. But I mean, uh, but yeah, so that was my first, my first um, post-Brexit delivery from Europe. And uh, we got hit for about another 300 quid above the, uh, above the cost of the, the actual delivery for all the customs stuff and everything else and form filling. So it was like 300 quid for form filling. And, uh, <clears throat> but as I said, I mean, the cost of postage, especially on the vinyl, so high, I just went, you know, I'll swallow it. And if we sell the 2000 albums, which I hope we do, then it'll balance out. And I, but I didn't want to pass it on. But there's other weird things that are happening with the Brexit stuff that I didn't know about. And that I'm f every day you find out something else. And I was talking to Razzmatazz in Blackburn, who do all my, my T-shirts. And... I'd already found out about the fact that um, when you when an item comes into the UK, if it's substantially um, altered, right, then it, it's designated as being a kind of UK. It's a kind of weird formula for doing it. And I talked to them the other day, and I was talking to talking to guys, and they were saying that um, like t-shirts, like you know, we don't grow cotton. <laughs> 
in the UK, right? And the only people that I've kind of found out, because I was interested to find out, you know, do people actually make T-shirts in the UK, right? And they do in Leicester, seemingly, but people aren't paid very well and they work in sweatshops, right? And, um, and they're still very expensive. And, but all the blanks that we get, they come from like Guatemala and Honduras and China and things. And even though what you, the, 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 the black shirt, just you call it the blank, black, the blank shirt you get, when it goes to Rasmataz, they screen print it all and it adds a lot of money to that shirt. I mean, it, you know, for what they buy the actual blanks at to when they put the screen print on, it drastically changes it. But the country origin of that shirt is China or Guatemala. And I've been told, right, and this is what I've got to say, it's like being in, it's, it's like being in trial. I have been told, you know, that, you know. These T-shirts, because of them coming here and coming out of China, they get a 12.5% import tax going to the EU now. Right? And we're trying, I'm trying to find out, but, you know, my guy's erasmus, Simon, who's, uh, he was saying, yeah, he said, this is what we have to do now. And you've got to put country origin. So we now have to go into the mail order setup and put in all the countries where everything comes from. So the remasters come from Poland, the Elchimers come from Czechland, the T-shirts come from Honduras, and the new buffs that are coming out come from China, right? And you've got to put all this down and it's all taxed accordingly as it leaves the UK. And... Even now, I still don't really know what's happening when things go to the EU. There's some people have said they've got it and they've not paid any tax and it's just arrived at the door as always. And other people have said, well, they've had to pay tax at the door. And some people are, you know, <laughs> so. <laughs> but, you, but cotton shirts, you know, it's, um, maybe this was what could be. Maybe after Brexit, we could see a resurgence of the big Manchester and Sheffield mills. <laughs> The cold chimneys will be lit again. <laughs> and children will be climbing chimneys. <laughs> Gee, uh, Robert Eldritch loved the weather report. Yeah, the weather report was just like, that was just off the, the top of my head. It was one morning and I just, I think I had a, a, moment, a, a moment of just slight weirdness. Well, you know what it's like. It's like, you know, when you're in this bloody lockdown, it's like you're just trying to find things to entertain yourself. I mean, you know, I've had some really shite days in the last week. I know uh, it's been kind of, I think a moment of madness like that just it cheers me up and it cheers you guys up, which is fine. Oh. Uh, Trevor Sheave, the glamorous life of a rock star, yes. Hold on, Sean Machel, no lying then, big man. Oh, Joyce Vandenberg. Uh, female Norfolk flat, but still managed to slip and nearly fall today. My daughter Tara sent me some beautiful photographs of where she lives up in uh, Wraith. Okay, it's across the water from me. I mean, basically, it's like we could, if we put, she went at the top of one of her hills, I put at the top of one of my hills, we could probably do a zip line right across to see each other. <laughs> but instead, we've got to drive all the way around the Fourth River Bridge, all the way back to East Lothian. But yeah, she's been out in the snow with her dog, Dexter. Dexter, the wonder dog. And uh, it's gorgeous. And she sent me some, some footage today when she was out walking a dog. And she was up on the top of a, a hill in the forest. And she was looking down on a, on a deer. And it was just kind of bouncing about. It was gorgeous. 
and there was the tracks. I mean, it's. I'm, I've not seen where she lives yet. <laughs> I've, only, I've only seen photographs and videos. I've, I've not seen Tara for ages. And uh, but I'm dying to go across and see the place that she's got with Jono, her boyfriend. And um, but it's uh, but yeah, but I mean the snow is wonderful. It's, it's it is great when it's pristine. But I'm I'm just so glad that I got that color gas. I got the, the if I hadn't got that underground LPG tank sorted out with the with the, the new valves with a submersible valve, we would have been icicles in here. <laughs> Serious. It's like. I actually opened up the, the manual cover, I think it was on Tuesday, just before the snow, and the water was over the valve. <laughs> so, hmm. yeah, it's just been, um, you know, you feel good about getting things done and sorting things and them working, you know, because it's a continual trial. Fritz Veneman, shirt arrived in Germany. Oh, lost it, lost it, lost it. Um, Kevin Pfeiffer, Manchester Cotton Mills, my ancestors of workplaces. <laughs> um, pride of sorts, yeah. Uh, Stuart Clifford, just been listening to Marillion live at Wembley. What a gigs. Ah, oh, I missed it. Ah, oh, the whole thing's gone down. I'm zipping down through a lot of them to get back up. Uh, Martin Torbrook, when will the vinyl be live to buy on the website? Darling! Oh, I have to put them up. What? She's going to put them up now. <laughs> she forgot. She was down at Tesco's today. I said, yeah. Yo, you, they're complaining already, love. <laughs> yeah, so Martin will be up in about another 10, 15 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. Ingo Sass, fish is so great to see you. One goes once a week. Oh, yeah, good, man. Yeah, it's 45. Robert Ahrens, regular weather report would be hilarious. I was going to do it, but Simona said no. <laughs> she wasn't kidding me going out of my dressing gown every day. Uh, Stefan Dombrowski, waiting for my Fisher Friday shirt to arrive. I'll let you know if I have to pay additional fees. Yeah, if, let us know. It's, um, if, you, if you want to email sales at fishmusic.scot, right? And then they go on to Simona's thing. I'm just interested to find out what is happening because we really don't know. It's like, they keep on talking about teething problems. <laughs> yeah. Teething problems is when <clears throat> you've just got, you know, a, a, a few holes to fill, right? Not getting smacked with a bloody pickaxe handle, right? Michael Schneider, how you doing, big boy? Robert Eldridge, yak tracks are not bad for ice on the level. Yak tracks, yeah. Yeah, Peter McNally. Yeah, Spike Milligan. Yeah, I mean, I was a big Milligan fan. I'd, my mum and dad were, were Goons fans. And we, I actually had, I think I still have. In fact, I might have it. I'll love to dig it out. I'm sure I've got the Goons on 8-track, right? It must be worth a fortune on eBay. The Goons on 8-track. And yeah, it was, um, I was kind of brought up when I was really young with uh, Goon stuff, the, the Ying Tong song. Oh, the Ying Tong song. Whoa. Who was it? Oh, was it Tony Terrell? We, we, actually, there was, a, there was a karaoke down at the Plough in Haddington once, and I think it was Tony, no, Tony Terrell did Sparks. 
uh, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. And he did a brilliant version, right? I'm trying to think. It was one of my guys did the Ying Tong song. Ying Tong, Ying Tong, Ying Tong, Ying Tong, Ying Tong, did lapper. Ying Tong, Ying Tong, Ying Tong, did lapper. Keep up, lad. Keep up, lad. And yeah, I had that 45 when I was a kid. And I was like, oh, I used to love the goons. And, but I didn't really know who they all were, you know. And then Milligan, right? And I loved the Q series. He was just an incredibly funny, totally off the wall guy. And, um, uh, Andy Laidlaw, did you have icicles in your dock? Oh, have to go, Bill. Steve Smith, bad Simona, we want weather report. <laughs> uh, Chris Harris, you can't compete with David Lynch when it comes to weather reports. He's top dog in the field. Right. No, we like Liam on uh, on Channel 4. Good evening. <laughs> I try and copy it. Good evening. I like I like the Channel 4 weather reports. <laughs> oh, I've got to come down, I've got to come down. Oh, bath! David Anderson, greetings from Connecticut. Robert Jagodzinski, good to see you. Stay safe. Greetings from Poland. Let the live humour and positive. Jay Stevens, the dread batter pudding, the goons. Rob, Rob Skinner, I fish from just down the road in Ukraine. Call. I too love Spike Milligan. I managed to get his autograph once. You met him? I never met Spike. I would have loved to meet him. He was an oh, amazing guy. And, um,. Like I said, I loved all the, all the Q series and stuff. I mean, a lot of his humour now. It'd just be banned, right? Just, it's just not PC, right? And, uh, but I mean, um, and the, his books. I, I love My Hitler is, uh, was it? Uh, Hitler, My Partner's Downfall. And, and uh, uh that was a book I read. I read those books when I was really young. <laughs> I think that's what kind of screwed me up a little bit, you know? You've got, dear Darren Robinson, you've got the Ying Tong song that's set on a 78. Wow. Walking backwards for Christmas. Yeah, I'm walking backwards the Christmas across the Irish Sea. I've tried walking backwards and walking to the front. And people keep on looking at me going, ah, what a sweet. <laughs> uh, see, I know this stuff. Right? Uh, Michael Davies, I failed an English exam for quoting inappropriate content from Spike Mulligan. <laughs> but he was a dark guy. He really struggled with depression. And I think, you know, I think maybe, maybe that's what it is. You know, it's just having that type of humour to, 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 to deal with some of these dark mental things. And I remember he was interviewed on, I think it was Michael Parkinson's show. And they, they, they said, you know, you were out there and, you know, you were you were out in the desert in World War Two, and he was in Italy as well. And, you know, um, uh, you know, he was out there with a the trumpet. He was a brilliant trumpet player. And uh, Michael Parkinson said, you know, well, well you know, can I, well, how can you laugh about all this? And he basically said, if I didn't laugh about it, I'd go insane. <laughs> and it's, it's quite true. I think, you know, a lot of... A lot of military that I've known that have been in, in situations have got very strange senses of humour because it's the only way they can deal with it. It was a... <laughs> what day was it? Eccles, Cameron Brown. Big time for Aldridge. Hello. <laughs> the Pakistani Dalek. That's a great one. What did it in the curry? 
It's uh, <laughs> Pakistani. I mean, any any breed that comes up with like the, the, the Pakistani Daleks now with the turbans on. But like I say, it's like, you know, don't even know if you're allowed to do that. I don't even know if I'm allowed to, yeah, don't even know if I'm allowed to say that now. Uh, uh. Stephen Reed, hi from Newfoundland, Canada. Love your music. Thank you, mate. Susan Mitchell's from Canada. Jim's sister. Oh, hiya. Pierre Bellini. Regarding, yeah, da da da. Joyce Vanderbrug. Here in Holland, we go skating. Nah, nah. <laughs> nah, it's not that cold yet. It's, um, that's asking for trouble going skating over here. <laughs> Especially my size. Yes. <laughs> Keith Albury, you spent an evening with Spike Milligan. You lucky bastard. Wow. Final oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to cook him down. It's all, it goes up. Yes, Peter Groom. Spike called Prince Charles a groving little bastard, I believe he did. Yeah. Spike, Prince Charles actually, like, he's a, again, Prince Charles is a massive Goons fan, right? Massive Goons fan. And he turned around and he delivered this kind of wonderful Spike Milligan is a wonderful, an absolutely wonderful man. And this is one of the humans I've always watched it as you grovelling little bastard. <laughs> Eating Mosley's really to Spike Milligan as well. Chris Harris, you have Spike's book on depression written with Anthony Clare. It's like, yeah, he, he did really suffer. It's what kind of... Glenn Van Jeek, Monty Python, Monty Python. I can remember when the first Monty Python series came out and it was on, uh, it was on BBC Two, right? And my mum and dad wouldn't let me watch it in the living room, right? Because they were watching something else. And I had to go up to their bedroom and they had this tiny little TV with a... Um, I had this tiny little TV with like a, with an aerials. And I used to watch... Uh, I think it was a Sunday night and it was about... I think it was about nine o'clock at night or something, Monty Python. Monty Python's Flying Circus. And I used to watch it. And I was I was a huge fan of Monty Python when it first started. Yeah. Oh. Female, totally. My dad, bless him, so yeah. Okay. Ach. Heather Van Rijn. I'll tell me that, but 22, right? I'm going to play a couple of songs tonight because as I said there was there was two were really close right and um <laughs> Chris Harris how's Mr Bellagy he's not very well oh dear why not I exterminated him <laughs> put it in the curry Patrick Bellins hope to see you in Belgium I don't know if you ever will see me in Belgium again and I'm really sorry but it's uh you know I mean just to dip back into that touring thing you know, it's it's the visas, right? And we're trying to find out how all the visas all work. It's a nightmare. And um, the problem is, and, and I really feel, because it's Big Francis that I think runs the Spirit of 66 in Verbier. It's a gravy club. And as I said, Pendragon, mostly Ottoman, everybody play there and Wishbone Ash and things. But, you know, now if you want to play one gig in Belgium, you have to get a Belgian visa. And a Belgian visa for all my guys is going to be in the region of £2,000. And we can't afford, and Francis can't afford, to pay £2,000 above the money he would expect to pay us as a guarantee to cover our costs. So it's like, you know, if I was doing three or four shows in Belgium, 
then great. But the demand, you know, quite frankly, Belgium for my stuff is not that great these days. And uh, Spirit 66 is the only place we ever played as a stepping stone gig to either Cali or from Cali going through. And uh, it ain't gonna happen now. And uh, it's sad. And people forget about that because they forget about the British music and all the young bands that go out and play these clubs, like the Colossal in Aschaffenburg, right? Like the Birderai. I mean, the Birderai is gonna get a real hit because, you know, there's so many of the prog bands that go out and play the Birderai in Zutermere. And they're a great bunch of guys down there. I loved playing that club. And uh, there's gonna be a lot of bands that would just pop out and play, play the Birderai and come back again, just to like be in Holland for, you know, a couple of days. That ain't gonna happen because I mean the Dutch visas are about three hundred euros per person, you know, and even with a basic band and you know that's still a basic five piece, you know, there's fifteen hundred euros and you know some of these bands won't be playing the numbers to even qualify the visas, you know, and you know this is where people forget about the knock-on effects of everything, you know. It's like when Ravens Creek shut down, when the steel mill shut down out the west, when Rosyth Dockyard shut down. They forget all about the other people that are affected by it, the tobacconists, the restaurants, the clubs, the pubs, you know, all the things that are around it, that are all dependent on it, the, you know, the, the, the synergy and, and that kind of that symbiosis that occurs, you know, between gigs and bands and, and everything else, you know? They forget about this, you know? But anyway, I'll move on. Don't want to get bogged down in that. Steve Bissett, love Monty Python. Uh, oh, I was actually, this was brilliant. I was at Tony Stratton Smith's funeral, right? Tony Stratton Smith was the guy who owned Charisma Records. He was the guy that basically signed Genesis, Lindisfarne, Van der Graaf, loads of other acts, I mean, Savoy Brown, um, uh, who else? Um, Clifford T. Ward, a lot of, I mean, I've got a great charisma sampler, and when you look at the bands that are on it, you know, I mean, like I said, Van de Graaff did all the Peter Hamill solo stuff. And uh, he was, and he, he had, he, he signed Marillion for, for publishing. I mean, he also signed Monty Python. And, uh, and it was probably one of the best wakes that I was ever at, right? And, um, oh, the nice. He signed the Nice as well. Um, they were on Charisma. And when he died, it was, I can't remember the name of the, 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 the church in London, but it was basically, it was the patron saint of alcoholics. <laughs> and, uh, and it was very apt for Tony. And um, Strat was a great man. And we went to this funeral and there was Alan Hall from Lindisfarne did, did a, a read-in. Keith Emerson played piano. I mean, it was a star-studded lineup, and I'm, you know, I was in awe at the time. And right at the end, right at the very, very end of the service, right, Monty Python all came in from different areas, and they all walked down towards the front, and they had a cassette player, right, and um, and they said, "This is for Strat," and they said, uh, "We figured that this would be the the, the best song we play," and they all stood round the the kind of the dais, right. And somebody put the cassette player, it was like John Cleese or somebody put the cassette player up to the, the microphone and pressed the button. And it was always look on the bright side of life. And there I was in this church, right, in, in London. And it was like, you know, all of Monty Python and the whole, the entire congregation started singing along to always look on the bright side of life. It was just a perfect ending, absolutely perfect.
Joyce Van, you see Joyce Von the Brof. <laughs> Van the Bro. Oh, I got it. I'm sorry. It's, every time we go down, it zips up and I can't see it. Right. Stuart Hilton, Vinyl Order. Thank you. Saw you in Preston, UK. 53 degrees. Yeah, Preston. Oh, oh, Jean, um, if you're watching, uh, it's my cousin Jean. Hi, darling. Christian Drissen, wasn't that called Ripping Yarns or Innis Booker Records? No, Ripping Yarns was a completely different thing. Ripping Yarns was Michael Palin, I think. That was great. The football, the football one I used to really love with the guy, 55 bloody nail and smash the house up. It was great. If you get a chance to watch Ripping Yarns on Netflix or something, find it. Right. Uh, Jim Hedra, yeah, I know, mate. Patrick Wooters, is it the same problem for the gig in Luxembourg? I don't know. That's a real problem. And Luxembourg is going to become a real issue, right? Because how many gigs can you play in Luxembourg, right? And, um, and John Rech, who's the promoter, who's a, a, a really great friend of mine in Samora, it's, uh, you know, and he's, he's done a brilliant job. When he runs a, he runs a, a gig, a venue uh, at Dudalonga, in, in Luxembourg, and we always play down there. We always do this one show in Dudelang. And they were absolutely amazing. And John got the permission, government permission, and, 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 and forwarded this himself. And basically all the acts, and there's, it's, it's a small theatre, so there was a lot of kind of theatre acts. It's not a big, a, a big venue by any stretch of the imagination. And what John Reck did, was he went to the, 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 the Luxembourgish government and all the gigs that were cancelled, that were postponed, right, they basically agreed to pay 50% of the fee to the artist, if I'm, I'm, if I'm correct in this. And they paid 50% of the fee, as in, kind of like as an advance, so that the artists, these little theatre groups and things, had some money to pull them through. And John Reck does an amazing job down in Dudelanger looking after artists and looking after bands. And because he's a musician, he's, a, he's a, an artist in his own right, he's a great cartoonist, and he's also a great politician. And John Reck will go places, right? I know this, right? And he's just a lovely guy, very honest, very straightforward, very sincere. And I dread what, what, how John's going to deal with, with UK bands from now on because. If you're going to Luxembourg, I don't actually know what the visa set up for Luxembourg is, whether we do have to buy visas for Luxembourg or not, but it's still part of the EU, right? And we are going to have to, you know, there are going to be particular hoops. And there is an instant of, you know, that knock-on effect of Brexit that, you know, that people didn't see, you know? I mean, Luxembourg, you know, in its own itself could be taken out of the, 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 the touring map for a, for a lot of UK musicians, you know? But it's not me, you know I mean? At the end of the day, you know, if I really want to play Luxembourg, I can, I, you know, I can go down there and I'll pay the visas and I might not make any money at all of a gig, right? But, you know, it's, you play to the fans in Luxembourg and Luxembourg has been good to me in the past and I always remember that, you know? But it's the younger guys, it's the young bands, the guys that are coming up playing to like 200 people and that's what pissed me off about the, the guy for the darkness and that's what he's missing, right? It's like, it's not him who's playing like 3,000, 4,000 in a night in these places, you know, with the darkness, 
right? It's the guys that are coming out, like I was in 1982, 1983, who are just trying to get a foothold, right? And as I said in the interviews that I did give, right, the EU, right, and what used to be called gas, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, right, it's always been, it's the third biggest music market in the world. It's 40 minutes away from Dover, Dover on a ferry, right? And we can't get into it unless we pay shitloads of money and jump low through loads of bureaucratic hoops. And if we, if Marillion in 1983-84, if we hadn't had Europe and hadn't had the support from Europe, our career would probably have been over in a year, right? Because it was what happened with the Fugazi album, and especially with Real to Real, that allowed us to break out in Europe and start expanding our, on our gigs. And that's what made the band, right? It wasn't the UK, it was, you know, our UK sales, right, were not enough to support the debt that we had with EMI through the recording video, all the, 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 the basically the debt we had to EMI. It wouldn't have paid it off. We had to break out, bands have got to keep on growing and you have to grow in the markets. And these young bands that are coming out nowadays that are trying to get into the border eye just to get a support of the border eye will never do it, you know? Um, I mean, I've talked with Doris Brendel about this and, and Doris has said that, you know, this, she's having to walk away from countries. I mean, on the September tour, it was supposed Doris was going to come out and play all these different gigs with us in the different countries and then her band was going to follow us and all the rest of it. And she said, I can't do that. I can only do Germany now because she can't afford to do it because of the visas, right? That's where it's at. That's the reality of where this is, this is right? And, you know, when you think about it, you know, I wouldn't be here talking to you here on Fishing Friday, right, if this had happened, you know, to back in 82, 83, because we wouldn't have been able to move in, in, in Europe as we, as we did. We couldn't have, you know... The, the, the money we were getting, I mean, EMI on the 83 tours and 84 tours in, 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 in Europe, they were providing us with tour support because we weren't making enough money from the gigs, right, to basically qualify touring. But they invested in the band in order, because they knew if we broke into that market, into that big European market, the sales would come pouring back in and our debt to EMI would go down and we could move on up. And then by breaking into Europe, that was our springboard for, for the attempt on America, right? And America is a hugely expensive place to, pay, to play, you know? But in America, as has been pointed out, if you get a visa for America, right, that American visa allows you to play the 50-odd states over there, right? Canada's separate, but America, you, once you get your American visa, you're in, right? With Europe, you still have to deal, as was pointed out by the digital and cultural secretary, right, who came on at the end of the, the, the parliamentary briefing on, on EU touring and said, get on with it, it's 27 countries, it's all there, deal with it, you know? It's 27 countries, right? And if you look at the size of America and you can get one visa to get in, and what's what we need? We need to get a kind of visa that takes us all the way through. But I mean, even Yatta has been helping me out a lot. Because Yatta's got great knowledge. Uh, he's, he's, he's great at going down rabbit holes, Yatta. And, um, and he was finding out some stuff for me uh, last week. And seemingly, we have to get a, a, a kind of Schengen pass. And you have to nominate the country of entry you're going into, right? Then you have to go to that embassy. Not just you, but the entire band and crew, just as we have to do with America, 
right? If we're trying to get a US visa, US visas, every member of the band and crew that is going to America has to appear in person at the embassy to be interviewed to decide whether they are worth or, or whether they're valid and whether it's justified to, for them to go into America on a visa. We now have to do that with Europe, as far as I'm reading at this moment in time. And as has been pointed out, it's changing all the time. Move on. David Poulsen, for in this, no one mentioned the Ruttles. And the Ruttles I can mention today, because uh, I just want to raise a wee glass to an old guy, an old mate of mine, that I've not seen for a very, very, very long time. And I just want to wish him all the best, because as was posted, as he posted on his Facebook uh, a few days ago, um, Mickey Simmons, who's played with the Ruttles and worked with, with Neil Innes, who's a very funny guy. Mickey played with the Ruttles and a couple of other guys. Um, Mickey got COVID uh, last week, and I hope you get well very, very soon, Mickey. Cheers, man. Oh. Da, da, da. Okay. <laughs> I missed that. Somebody wrote a message and said the t his T-shirt arrived five minutes after he opened the mail. Uh, one of the blackest black puddings ever seen. Ripping yarns. Yeah. Yeah, the weather gauge. I got a, sho a shovel. 25 rivets. Well, Jim Hedra, yeah, I know, I know exactly. I felt the same way, and I'm, I'll be absolutely honest. I broke down in tears last week in the office with Simona because it was like, uh, yeah, I just had a bubble. I just, I, it just got too much for me, and it was just the whole thing, the weight of everything that was happening to us on the merchandising side and the touring side. It just, there was a couple of things just hit me, and I just, you know. And I found it really hard. I've, I've, it's been very, very difficult this, this week, you know, just trying to be positive and stay up as you're continually getting hit with these things. But, you know, I think it's, it's you know, it's one of the closest things. I think I mentioned last week with the Polydor thing when I was dropped by Polydor. I mean, it was one of the closest things I felt to being made redundant, you know? And uh, it's, um, yeah, it's horrible. But, fuck it, you know? We're here. This is now. Uh, John Timmon, you can still do the Par Hall in Warrington. Full house guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. David Noble, for me, Phil Dalkeith, hi, mate. Martin Torbrook, the curse of the club, my favourite. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Right, let's do a song. Um, the first one. Like I said, it was so close between two songs, Incomplete and Shot the Crow. So I thought I'd play both. And um, it was, I've never, we've never had a vote so close. But, um, let's start with Incomplete. This was another song from the, uh, the Chateau, um, uh, the Chateau Marowak sessions. Uh, at the session, I met this wonderful lady called Elizabeth Antwi, Elizabeth Troy, Elizabeth Antwi. Um, um, she works under both names. Elizabeth Troy was kind of her, her name. She was doing a lot of dance music. And um, we got on really well. And we ended up in a, in a writing session. And um, so what I'm going to actually play you is the demo that's on, uh, on the third disc of The Rain Gods with Zippo Remaster. And this was the demo, right? And as I said about the, the, the Marowak sessions, you met up with people 
and um, in the morning you were assigned your writing team. You sat in this great big hall, like a kind of dining, medieval dining hall that was along one of the sides of the castle buildings. And they read out the names and it was like, this is who you're going to be with. And, um, and I ended up in, in a thing with Liz. Ow, yeah. That's my knees. Um, and we ended up in this room in the afternoon and at the time it was kind of it was it was kind of pretty strange for me because it was um I was out there and I, I, I said on the intro you know on the, the thing to this the whole, this whole fishing Friday tonight it's kind of I feel awkward and I feel uncomfortable talking about some stuff especially with Simona being here and stuff and you know we've been We've been together since 2011 and all the rest of it, and it's us, right? But it's, it's, it's strange when you're a singer and you're a lyricist, when you're a writer. And there's been so many things that I've found solace in the writing. And it is a catharsis. And, uh, you know, when you do write, you, you feel better about things. You, you analyse stuff. You... Um, you come to terms with things and you know you'll always put twists on it and sometimes you know you'll use elements from your personal and private life and you will you'll mold them together with other things and um and you'll create it but the feeling and, and the emotions that you you kind of you're trying to deal with you know you let them flow into the music and into the words so it's like, it's, it's difficult. And I feel for Simona because, you know, she's got to deal with a lot of ex-girlfriends and ex-wives, you know? And I can't get away from that. I can't escape that. It'll always be there and I can't ignore it either, you know? And a lot of these songs, you know, I still sing, right? And this was, and, and Incomplete was one of them. And at the time, Millet, that was it. Dick, aren't we in Millet? But it was, um... We sat in this room and I came up with this idea for uh, the song and because because I went in as a lyricist because I don't play any instruments and it was like you know incomplete and it just sounded lovely. It's, it's just it's the word incomplete. You just to let it come out and a lot of things, a lot of lyrics and stuff that come out like manchmal, they feel good in my mouth if that makes sense, right? And just the pronunciation. It, it it feels good, and um, and I was down in in the Chateau Marwa, and things were we we were on the tail end of 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 that marriage, right? And um, but there was still that kind of attempt to hold it together and stuff, and the, the song was about two people that just couldn't bring it together anymore, right? And that's what I did, and I took that lyric in, and I, I worked with Liz, and you know, and. I said, you know, let's do it as a duet, you know, so we, and we thought, great, you know, so we got the, the two people, you know, it was, I think maybe inspired in a kind of, in a, in a way, it wasn't totally inspired, but it was that, the, the Kate Bush Gabriel bit, you know, or, you know, Simone and I listened the other night to a, a brilliant song, right, and it's called Another Day by Roy Harper, if you ever catch it, it's beautiful, and that song, was probably more inspirational than the the the, the latter with the Don't Give Up song with Gabriel and, and, and Kate. And it was um um another day was was uh 
performed by Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush on a on a Christmas. I think it was a Kate Bush Bush Christmas special, and it is such a wonderful song. You know, she offered me Tibetan tea. It's, if you can just try and find it on Spotify, if it's there, it's a it's a beautiful lyric. Roy writes incredible poetry, but that was kind of where Incomplete came from. And I wanted it to have be two people basically like sitting there across the table, you know, on our relationship was falling apart. Perhaps not appropriate for Valentine's Day, <laughs> but it's a really lovely song and it is a love song. I mean, there, there are very few kind of proper love songs like where I'm declaring Rob love or whatever. A lot of them are just like, I miss or this is gone, right? But, um, and. Liz is just, um, you know, Liz, Liz Troy is, is just, she's just a wonderful singer. And she loves what I do and she really gets into the words and stuff. And when we have worked together, and she's worked on, on quite a few albums with me and, um, and she's been on tour with me, but that's another story. She, <laughs> it's a great Liz stories on tour. But anyway. Remote, it is not out of my person. So this is the demo version. And this was recorded, and this was just basically Doug Millett and uh, Liz Troy and I basically playing, and I think we had a couple of, couple of I can't remember who else, did we bring anybody else in? But this was recorded as a demo at the Chateau Marwa, and uh, this was the very first ever recording, and it's on the Rain Gods um, remaster. So let me see if I can find it. It switched off, bastard thing. Oh. Let's go down for this, I think. Mortal. This is where the camera moves across. The fire is on. The lights go down. Incomplete. Got a hundred and forty stations and satellite beaming on down to our home. But I'm watching you. I've got a half a million bills to pay. And you don't hear a word I say. I dream of you. If we can only cross these lines If we can only feel the space that's grown between us all the time You don't hear me anymore You don't touch me anymore You don't know me anymore Butterflies, they gather in the dust. I long for you.
That was a demo, right? And it was a, uh, we, we basically wrote it in the afternoon and recorded it. We recorded it in about, we were only allowed about an hour in the studio because it was all these other people were trying to get into these wee demo studios to record. And that was a demo that, that Liz and I sang. It's gorgeous. And um, the actual, the album version, it was like, it was, it was tough to beat that. I thought, we got it, but it's just, we did get a brilliant version on the album. But I mean, this demo was just so touching and so raw. It was, um, it, it was incredibly moving. And yet again, it was another one of those songs that, you know, I thought this is gonna, this is gonna get played on radio. This is radio too. It got completely and utterly ignored, right? And, uh, but, it stands, it's there, it'll be there forever. And you know, and I'm really proud of it. And I'm, you know, and I know Liz is really proud of that song as well. I mean, I think it was, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. But um, moving on, <laughs> as I said, you know, I've got to watch the time here because I've got, I've, got, I've got another couple of things to play here. So it was, um, so that was incomplete. <laughs> Keep my eyes on the remote there, boys. Keep the eyes on the remote. Yeah. Ah, Lurid Lenguerin, that's a great name. Uh, yeah, great, great time. That was Doug Miller. He was, he, was, um, he was out in Nashville, I think. And that was the beauty of the Shadow Manowat sessions and that, you know, you got to meet all these different writers from so many different genres and you kind of came together and, and uh, it was, as a lyricist, it was fantastic. I was meeting people that had great senses of great, a great sense of melody and things. And... You know, I never thought when I went down there that, you know, I mean, I was petrified. I mean, I've I'd never, you know, worked in that area where it's like, you know, let's write these songs quickly. I think it's, uh, you know, it's, um, I've always been used to you know, taking a long time and in, in, in getting songs. And uh, Chasing Miss Pretty was another one. That's on the, that's on the, um, the Rain Gods remaster, and, which was on the Kettle of Fish album originally. And, um, what else was a uh, mission statement, <laughs> which was where what's his name? <laughs> I forgot his name now. So, which was completely bizarre. There was a um, Rick Astley, Rick Astley, and suddenly I was I was put in a, a group with Rick Astley, and I'm going, what the fuck am I going to write with Rick Astley? And we did mission statement, and it, Rick went straight out of his comfort zone, and so did I. And I think that was what the beauty of it was with, with those sessions. They just took us out of our comfort zones, you know. And I give you, give you a mission statement. I'll, I'll put that up as maybe on one of the B-side choices at some point. But the other one that was mentioned, which Victoria L. Harrison was has been jumping up and down about for like weeks and weeks, months even, right? It's shot the crow. Shot the crow. Is it's a Scottish term, and 
when you shoot the craw, you're, you're basically leaving, right? Shot the craw, I'm away, right? What happened to him? He shot the craw, he's gone, right? And that was basically the song. It came off Field of Crows. And Field of Crows period was kind of a very strange period for me because my, my first wife, had, she left in uh, 2001. Then I was going out with somebody else, uh, Sarah Louise, for a bit. And it was kind of strange times. Read the autobiography when it comes out. And um, we kind of found each other, but I wasn't in a position in my life at that time. I was still coming out of, you know, I'm, I'm a really tumultuous kind of managed relationship thing. And we split. And it was kind of round about that same time as as I started to write were Bruce Watson from Big Country and uh, Evan Duguid. Frank Usher was obviously involved with the writing as well. And Shot the Crawl was, as I said before, it's, it was one of them things where I took, I, I dipped into the well of emotion that was kind of out of both kind of relationship things. And um, I was quite taken aback myself what came out in that lyric, right? And at that point, Tamara, my first wife, was back in Berlin. And she'd taken Tara with her, my daughter. And because at the time, in 2001, when we were getting divorced, I was in a financial mess. And I was really struggling to keep myself together. And uh, I moved into the studio. In 2004, I was living in this building. And uh, the house next door had gone. It had been sold to somebody else. And I was still, in 2004, still paying off the 900 grand of debt, which had been, a lot of it had been fulfilled by the selling of the house and, and stuff. And yeah, the, the huge mortgage that I took out of this place to pay off the banks, because most of the, the money I was always to the banks. Anybody that personally, any companies that I was all, were all paid off right at the very start. So it was, nobody was stiffed, and that was one of the things that my dad brought me up. You know, you never stiffed anybody. And it's one of the, it's one of the reasons why I'm still here, because my integrity was more important than anything else. And there was... It was a really, really hard time, but we go back to this, right? So in 2004, you know, I'm kind of looking back on kind of where I'd been. And, you know, like I said, I mean, there, there was still feelings. I mean, anybody that's been through, you know, a divorce after a long period of marriage, you know, it, it, you don't just shut off and, and go. There's always, there's always debris. There's always detritus of, of emotions and feelings, and there's still a part of your heart that always holds in there. And... I kind of shot the crawl was kind of an amalgamation of a lot of those fragments, you know. And uh, Victoria says, you know, it was about dancing. Um, yeah, it was. Dancing is a term that is um, you can use in as far as actual dancing, right? As in a tango or a foxtrot or a waltz or whatever. But dancing can also mean a game where, you know, when you're dancing, when you're sparring with somebody. And I think there was that came into it as well. And uh, and it was it was kind of, 
it was a very difficult time because I was in, I was very very confused, and um, and I remember I, I took this across to I took this album across and I, I went I visited Tana all the time. I mean I was never away from Tana for longer than about six weeks, and if she she used to spend all her holiday time here, her summer holidays and her, her October holidays and her Easter holidays, and we used to share Christmas and New Year. It was all kind of wasn't legally written, it was just what we did, you know? And I still wanted to be a dad. And, um, and it was important for me to be there for my daughter. And, you know, she was struggling in Berlin and there was a lot of things going on in Berlin that I don't want to discuss, but it was one of those times where, you know, I remember going across and, and playing the entire Field of Crows album in uh, Tamara's kitchen at the time when, when Tara was with us. And I was sitting there with these, uh, two Lebanese guys that, 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 that Tammy knew and I was, you know, played the album and these guys are sitting there looking at me going like, you know, who the fuck are you? You know, <laughs> so they were just, they were friends of my then ex-wives. And, um, and I remember playing that song and, and it was like, you know, I, I kind of choked quite a bit because I knew what it was about. And at this, the same time, it was like, when I played that song, it was over, if that makes sense. It was like, it was, it was a song about kind of can't dance without you, blah, blah, blah. And if you listen to the lyric, it's like, you know, I'll learn to dance without you, you know, and I'll dance without you. And that was what it was about. It was a, I tried to reflect the confusion at the time about whether it was, you know, is this relationship ongoing? Is it dead? Is it, you know, what, where is it? And it was all kind of reflected in the lyric. And like I said, it was shot the crawl. I didn't actually shoot the crawl. It was uh, my first wife left me to go to Berlin. And so there was a there was a switch in, in everything that, that came around, and at the right at the end, uh, the the lyric in this song is "Baby's coming back," and "Baby's coming back" wasn't relevant to the woman that was being talked about in the song. It was about Tara, and <sighs> big glass of wine, and it was about. Um, the whole idea when Tara went across to Berlin was that eventually I would turn the studio into a house. And when I had turned it into a house and it was a proper residential place because Tara couldn't stay with me in 2001 because I couldn't look after her. It was like impossible. I had to tour and I had to go on the road a lot in order to pay off the remainder of the debt to sort this house out and and create a home. And um, and that's what I had to do. That was kind of like my sacrifice in a way. And I had to sacrifice being with my daughter on a regular basis um, in order to keep this place going. And and that's what I did. And I turned this place into a house. So the end lyric is the baby's coming back is actually relevant completely to Tara. My baby's coming back. My baby's coming back. And um, it was a it was a strange time. It was um, like I said, you know, I was you know. I'd come out of my marriage, gone into this other relationship, that I'd folded down, and this is where this song came from. Now I'm going to have to sit. There's the remote. <laughs> Got to set this up. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Wrong album. But yes, it was a. Uh... You're thinking. You're thinking, and I'm thinking, this is probably one of the most one of the most slick shows that he's done so far, and I'm just waiting on the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was that was what shot the crawl was, and it was um, 
And it was a really awkward song because it was, um, I don't know, I've got to find this. Do, 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 do. Uh. And it was this, I wrote this with Bruce Watson and Irvin Duguid, and uh, who's a keyboard player for a short time. And, um, and the beat of the song, just the, the way the one happens, for those who are music-oriented, it's really awkward finding the one to get into... Sorry, what? Oh, dropped that. The, the one, finding the one where the vocal starts and stuff, is really crazy because it, it, it's just got a, a very crazy scan or lyric on it. And, uh, and I'm trying to think, the guys, the guys that came in on the horns, right? Where is it? Uh, duh, 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 duh. Richard Sidwell, trumpet and flugelhorn, and Steve Hamilton, right? They came up. They, I played with them in the SES band, and um, the only they, they came up for like a day to put all the horns on the album. And I remember we were working on "Shot the Crow at Night," and. Uh, <laughs> and remember, we went down the pub <laughs> and we went in the pub for an, uh, an hour or so and then came back to with, with Elliot, Elliot Singham and Elliot Ness, the, the producer. And uh, they'd been playing about with it, you know, during the, the kind of the latter part of the evening. Then we went down the pub and came back. And, uh, and it was very late at night when we actually started working on this. And they were brilliant, right? And the two of them was completely steaming through in the through here in the studio, just across there, right? In front of the control room mirror. And um Steve Armon sax, saxophone, and they just started to lay all this brass down and it went on and on and it was just beautiful. And we couldn't stop them. They kept on saying, oh, well, we'll put this on, let's put this on. And it just, it's just got this wonderful inherent swing to this song. And, and I love it. I mean, you know, Victoria, yeah, it's, it's, one, of, it's one of my favourite songs on, on Field of Crows. And, uh, but like I said, it's, it's a strange thing. It's, it's a, a very strange song because it represents this, this piece of time. And like I said, right at the end of the song, you know, that lyric was, was completely about Taz. And, uh, and I love it. There's a couple of great acoustic versions of it. I think we did it in, on the, it was done on the Communion album. And I think that the Communion album version's on, on this as well, the, the acoustic thing. Obviously, uh, minus horns. <laughs> is this a good night? Right. Okay. Now, what number is it? It's not that one. That's gonna. I'm gonna have to get the field up sometime. The field of communion is brilliant. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. This one. Yeah, but if you listen to this, so if you try and count the one, right, and see where the vocal goes in, and it, it is a dance, it's just this really 
strange dance that, that goes on, this, this complete revolving figure that the vocal just dives and dives out and then when it bounces out, the lift on it was just like, whoa, it was exactly what we were trying to achieve. You know, that, that, that lift. It kind of straightens out and then drops back down again. But, and, but the horns, I mean, what Steve and, 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 and Tim did with the horns in this absolutely makes it. And, um, and I love it. So, without any further ado, this is Shot the Craw. He says, positioning it so you could, people could see the fire and, it, and the nice candles. He presses the button and it works.
There you go. There you go. Yeah, it's your shot across. And yeah, it's um, it's uh, yeah. But I listen to that. It's, uh, you know, a lot of these songs that kind of either take you back to times and things. And it's uh, it was a strange time. There's uh, a lot of things happening about at, at that point. I was just about, I mean, just as an aside, I mean, that was just about before um, I was about to take another major howitzer hit uh, on this album, just after this album was released, and uh, when I came back for South America. But it's, um, that's a completely other thing. But the other one, 
Um, Mark Atkinson, Joyce van der Brug, heavy. Yeah, it is. They're all heavy. This is kind of, like I said, I've, I've never kind of hidden. It's, it's, you know, like I said, Simona sometimes finds it difficult, you know, when I, I discuss these songs. But I mean, it's all part of your past. It's really difficult when you've got your past kind of laid out behind you and it's still accessible to everybody in the now, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud of it, I'm, you know, and the writing, I mean, you know, Simon Farquhar, it's, um, the writing is a catharsis. It's like, it helps me deal with things. And, uh, you know, it's like something I've discovered in the Velchmans, writing the Velchmans album, and doing all the research about that. And I realized that, you know, there's things to do with me that are, uh, um, you know, basically, you know, through like, especially the study, the study and the research on walking on eggshells, you know, I actually started to really, I did a lot of reading and I always, there's a lot of self-analysis goes on and, you know, you discover that, you know, I have definitely spectral qualities and that I find it, I find solace in words and I find it, uh, um, I find safety in words. And and it also helps me come to terms when I start to write things down. Okay, it's my perspective and it's my opinion, you know, but I mean, you know, it's sometimes a lot of problems. It's like you wrap them up and, you know, you put them in paper and put them in a box and, and throw them away and, you know, you think you've dealt with them, but a lot of times you've not and you're still continually dealing with it. But, you know, and this one, the next one's going to kind of really kind of... Um, <laughs> Dr. Homoshti, herbal remedy for herpes. <laughs> Came up in the line. Was somebody, somebody better, somebody shoot him. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. He's a, he's a herpes remedy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Yeah, a lot of scammers today, Dave, Dave Hardy. It's amazing. I think it's just because it's like the Vision Friday thing has just become so popular. It's reaching out to so many people. It's like so many arseholes. What's that going on going, oh, I'll sell them fish. Here's Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin. <laughs> the one thing I'm never going to get involved with is bloody Bitcoin, right? With my history of tech, it's like, you know, yeah, I've just invested all my fortune in Bitcoin. All my fortune. <laughs> I've got 15 goods worth of Bitcoin. I've just lost it. Somebody's nicked off my computer. <laughs> I, I don't trust that at all. It's like, that just gives me the fear. Like, you know, like somebody comes along and goes, yeah, I've got this, uh, it's, it's a thing that you get some computers. Somebody was saying that uh, there was a thing on a report on the TV, I think it was, and they said that, like, that, you know, for Bitcoin, it's using, you know, the, the Bitcoin transactions are using up as much electricity as it takes to, to like, uh, to, to basically energise the entire country of Argentina. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like, you know, I like, I like you know, I, I hate this idea... You know, credit cards frighten me. You know, using credit cards online. I mean, I know, you, I don't know you, but yeah, I get really. I've got to see that little thing up in the corner. It's secure, it's secure, isn't it? Isn't it right? And you always get petrified. You know, it's uh, scammers and stuff like that. And Bitcoin, I just go. I know people, right? That have like you know, 
invested in Bitcoin and, and found out that they were actually dealing with a bunch of pirates somewhere. <laughs> and lost a fortune in trying to get it. Oh, no. No, Bitcoin. I'm never going to go anywhere near Bitcoin. I like, I still like, you know, cash. But I mean, you know, cash in hand. I mean, it's, it's the one thing about a merchandise store. It's like when you get cash, you go, that's good. But then when you want to try and put that in a bank nowadays, it's like they charge you a fortune for putting cash in and they charge you a fortune for bringing cash out, you know? <laughs> oh, there we go. Chris Harris, cryptocurrency energy costs are around 0.21% of the planet's entire energy costs. It's unsustainable. But it's, it's just, but it's the fluctuations. I've just earned 15,000 15, quid on Bitcoin. Oh, have you? Uh, Cash is king. I tell you what, see that garden out there? It's going to be, we're going to get to the point we're going to be growing cabbages worth a million quid out there. Like, oh, you got cabbage. <laughs> well, you've got potatoes. <laughs> a turnip. <laughs> Fish coin, the future. Yeah, I'll start a new thing. Fish coin. Uh. Oh, no, Richard, I missed it. Have I got it? Have I still got it? Richard Llewellyn, I did exactly that when grieving my father, spoke some words I wanted to say, wrapped it in paper and threw it in the sea at Ramsgate when we went on holiday when I was a kid. From that moment on, I had no problems. It sounds bullshit, but it worked. Yeah, it's, uh, writing is, is amazing. And um, yeah, Simone has been on at me like this this week. I mean, you know, when I was hitting, when I was hitting some deep trenches this week, and uh, deep trenches in dark clouds, it was, she said, start writing, you know, get writing that book. And uh, she's right. But it's, it's trying to find my entry point and, and trying to find the exact subject. Do I start with... Do I start with a novel? Do I start with... Do I start poaching into the autobiography? I don't know. And I'm I kind of... And I'm the same when I start writing lyrics for an album. You know, I need to find an entry point. I need to find a launch point. And then, then I start building. And then I build and build. And then I go back and then throw stuff away and, and redress and things, you know? Uh, um, Stephen Scott, thank you, man. Eric Davison, pen to paper, definitely laptop. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's it's funny how you know, you know, I went from writing everything on paper and everything was written on pen and paper to now I write on paper, and then I take it to the PC and then I start putting down a, a word document and. Then I'll, then I'll print the Word document off and then I'll write all over the Word document and then go back and then rechange, you know. But it's, it's, it's useful when you're writing lyrics. I mean, I, I did find that, you know, using, using Word when I was doing lyrics, it was able to, you know, able to kind of move stuff about and things. It did help me a lot. Brian Muir, smelly cash. Yes, it's the plastic stuff I hate now. It's like that, that, the plastic notes now, they follow your pocket. It's like you pull your pay, you pull your hanky out, and then suddenly you've got fifteen quid lying on the floor and stuff. And like, Carol Matthews, stuff cash buy gold. <laughs> I've I've just I've never come out of that that thing. It's like Joyce Van der Broek, Bitcoins are children's stuff. I think terrible. I don't know. I just. Uh... Uh, <laughs> Peter McNally investing gold laughing out loud. Uh, I remember I was uh, one time, I, I won't go into detail, but it was one time I was in somebody's house and it was uh, um, somebody who came from a very rich family and he was kind of like the black sheep. And 
uh, underneath the floorboards he had uh, in his house, which I won't even tell you where it is. He had like a couple of grand's worth of sovereigns and he used to let the kids play with them, right? And I found that absolutely disgusting actually. And it was like the kids all playing with these gold sovereigns like toys. And I just went, oh, oh. Pete Turtle, my garlic are starting to protrude the soil. My garlic that I was planted on is also, also coming through. They're hidden under snow at the moment, which is good, right? We're going to have a brilliant garlic season this year. My only worry is there's shitloads of late rain falling down. There's shitloads of snow. There's loads of water around. And as Liam, my stepson, pointed out, he said, this summer's going to be like horrendous, horrendously hot. And that's my worry. It's like, I've got to find a way to deal with this. I mean, I've got my underwater, my underground rainwater reservoir with a pump on it and stuff, but I could do with getting another one in. And, uh... <laughs> Rob O'Brien, don't talk about cash in hand. HMRC may be watching. I'm very aware of HMRC. I keep myself very kind of, like, tidy. Chris Harris, writing, start with all the things. Uh... Ingrid DeBake, writing stuff down is healing. Yeah, there was, I saw an article on mental health today and it was, uh, it was some guy, everybody's got a program, everybody's got some new company that's dealing with like, you know, oh, we have this new thing, so like, you know, you, you write in what you feel and the computer comes back and makes you feel better. It's like, you know, <laughs> nah. <laughs> yeah, feeling bad, we got a program for you. Uh, can I get, I missed that one. Jill G. Hendricks, can I get a cabbage signed by you and Simona, please? <laughs> uh, Martin Faulkner, just start, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what I've got to start doing is just, but my problem is that I'm, I'm bouncing around so many things at the moment with this brick shit stuff and like, you know, all the rest of the bits and pieces, it's hard just to get the space. And, uh, and I just wish that, you know, I just wish that somebody would just turn around and, and, and just declare the inevitable, that September is not going to be happening. And, you know, well, September will be happening, but maturing in September, don't worry, September will be there. September will happen right after August. But, you know, it's, uh, but I mean, touring, it's like, I wish people would just go like, you know, okay. It ain't gonna happen, right? We ain't gonna have the vaccinations in Europe. We ain't gonna have anywhere near the vaccinations. And like I said, I'm still waiting. And I had my operation that was coming up as well, which was, uh, I'm, I'm still waiting on this minor surgical procedure. And uh, I was contacted by the Western General uh, this week saying like, we'll get you in on such and such a date. And I said, I can't. I said, I can't come in. This is the second time I've had to delay it. And uh, because my mum, because my mum doesn't get her second uh, vaccination until I think it's the 27th of March. And I can't go in, I can't go in the hospital because you get all these things about, you know, if you go in. And I'm, I'm really nervous about the, the COVID situation and like, you know, and, and particularly my age and, you know, previous conditions and stuff like that. You know, so I just said, I can't go in, I can't. And I, and I was gonna have to self-isolate in this house for two weeks, right? Uh, before I went in, uh, you know, and get the test two days before I went in the hospital. And I just said, I can't do it. You know, I can't go in and risk catching something and bringing back here and, and infecting my mum. So it's like, you know, well, I'm having to walk away for that. So that's an ongoing thing, right? Uh, 
Yeah, Maria Bureau writing is a great form of catharsis. Honest, if you're feeling down, right? I mean, as the gentleman said earlier on, you know, wrap, get feelings, wrap it in paper and throw it in the sea. You know, you don't have to keep it. You don't have to be writing for commercial reasons. Just write for you. And um, and sometimes it's, it's good to write because if you get in a stream of consciousness, and, and I've done this a few times. I did that with Misplaced Childhood, for fuck's sake. And it was, um, you know... Stream of consciousness writing, and you just access that part of you, you know, where everything is, where all oh, that crap is. And you just, and you write, and you just let it flow, and you let it flow. You don't have to keep it, you know? And um, just write, and then read it, and then just see, just go, well, this is how the inside of me is actually feeling. It is, it's really good. And if you are, you know, if you, if you, you are, you know, in that stage, if you if you're in that 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 part of your your life where it's kind of, you know, or your day, you know, where you you you're feeling down and everything seems to be overwhelming, just sit down and write, and just the actual physical thing of writing, and just writing down and then reading what you're saying and and going, oh well, you know, where did that come from? And I've done that a few times where, Little Man What Now off the Velchmans album, I mean. When I started writing that, it was stream of consciousness. And it amazed me, like, you know, where it took me. I mean, it, there was a lot of tidying up to, to turn it into the lyric that it became. But, I mean, writing is good. And uh, and the other thing I, I really enjoyed doing, I mean, apart from, you know, watching films, is reading books. And I, I found myself reading a lot more books, and it's something I plan to do an awful lot more in the next year. And as I said, I mean, the September tour is highly unlikely. And please, please, you know, don't buy tickets for that tour until you know it's definitely going to happen because I don't like the idea of people buying tickets and paying to the ticket ticket agencies, whatever, money that, that you're not going to see back, right? So hold back on it. I mean, I'm. it's something that annoys me at the moment, you know. As I said, you know, people saying, well, you should be... You know, you should be pushing the tickets. I'm not going to push the tickets because I don't think it's going to happen. And when it does happen, I'd rather see a flurry of ticket sales in the week before I arrive than anything else. When it's if it happens, you will know about it, right? Uh. Colin Baird, Billy Bragg tickets for October. Um, Neil Montgomery, no tour until 22. This is what I think it is. I think this is where it's going to be. I mean, I'm not, this is not fear rising, whatever. Anyway, let's fuck that off. Uh, all right. It's quarter two, and I'm going to deal with, we've got, there's two songs, right? One of them is mine. One of them is, it's the first time I've played somebody else's performance, but I've, I want to end the show tonight because it's, it's, you will, I promise you, you'll feel good, right? Um, and my wife and I will, will, will explain it to you, right? But the next one I want to play, and this is quite strange. Darling? Yeah? Could, could I have another uh, glass of the the, the non-air digger stuff, please? <laughs> Go on. Mark, oh, Martin, I'm going to lose that one because it's too high up the, up this, the scope. 
All right. It was funny. Yeah, I put the five songs up. And uh, I'll set this up first. We're so slick tonight, boys and girls. It wasn't on the choice list, right? It wasn't on the choice list because I had to play it. Because it's Valentine's Day on Sunday. And I've got all the roses all sorted out. Um, I've got to get this up right. I don't... No, 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 no. I've been a real DJ. Um, I had to play this. And, um, you know, this has always been seen as being the love song. And I felt every time I tried to write a love lyric, right, I could never do it. And I felt really self-conscious, right? And um, I, just, I just found it so hard to actually be just straight and simple were a love song. And um, I tried and, you know, I have thrown away many bits of paper where stuff that I just decided just wasn't, it, it just felt clumsy, you know? And um, and in Gerard's Cross in what would be, in 1988, and in 1988, I started to put together this, and it, it came up basically because it was like, <sighs> this sounds weird. Everything I wrote was a cliche. <laughs> and that's where the song was born. And it was, um, that was where the idea of the song was born. It was like taking a, a step back from stuff and, uh, and, I was actually commenting on my own inability to write a love song. It's like everything I do is it's the same old cliche. And you know, the Beatles have done it so well. There are so many people have done love songs so brilliantly, right? And I just felt so clumsy. I mean, I felt like a great big ape, you know, trying to write a love song. And my wife is now sitting in front of me on the other side of this camera and I'm gonna feel really, really awkward, right? I can go. <laughs> but, um, um, and I started, you know, I wanted to, to write a love song. I think because at that time, it was, uh, I'd only been married a year and I was in a situation where I don't think I completely understood really what I was getting myself into and on, on every level. And 
I think, you know, there's a, a, a lot of guys, and uh, guys and ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, will feel the same way. It's like, you know, you get to that point in your life where you feel you should be married, you know? And, uh, you know, and I fell in love with, uh, with Tamara, my first wife, and we got married in 1987. And it wasn't easy. It was, you know, I was still um, on the road. I was still the singer of Marillion, and I hadn't adjusted. And she was a wild girl from Berlin. And I say a wild girl, she, you know, she was, had a kind of similar history to me. And uh, she hadn't adjusted, and we got married, and I don't think we were fully prepared for everything, for that whole commitment. And to save that marriage was one of the reasons I left Marillion. It wasn't the predominant reason, it wasn't the main reason, but I recognised that if I stayed in the band and if I continued were the kind of um, the lifestyle that we had at that time, the marriage was going to be dead, right? And Jeremy's Excuse Me was written about that time, and so was Cliche. And... Mickey Simmons and I kind of put this, this together. And the lyric was easy to write in as far as once I'd accepted the fact it was, once I'd accepted that kind of, that root of it being a cliche, and once I settled into that, I relaxed, and it started to come to be, and, um, We put it together, Mickey and I put it together. We brought it up to up here to the farm, to the studio, and we kind of finished it off. And it needed a big solo. I really wanted to have a, a big guitar solo at the end. And Frank Usher completely obliged with probably what is his trademark solo. And it's been a song that is very, very rarely been performed with any other guitarist apart from Frank. And um, I think because it's, it was for anybody stepping into that solo was gonna be a huge, huge challenge. And um, when we took it out, the, the Lemon Tree gig with Marcel Signal, I had to take it on, you know. I was very nervous for him because of uh, how it was gonna be taken. And he, he did a, a really good job, and you know, considering that was the first show that's on the Lemon Tree thing on YouTube and, and stuff, um, he did a really good job. But to go back to then, right, um, when we went into the Townhouse Studios with John Kelly and started to lay it all down, you know, and I sang it in there, but it was only, the guide vocals. It was only the guide vocals. But Frank had put the solo down. So basically the song was all completed at the townhouse apart from the lead vocal, right? And this was a song that was basically a personal love song to my wife. And this is where, you know, I know that if my daughter's watching just now, she knows the background story and all the rest of it. But uh, for some of you other, this will kind of give you a different slant in this, right? Because it, take, it goes completely left field. Um, it was recorded, all the track was recorded at the townhouse and the mixing was going to be done at Olympic Studios. But at Olympic Studios, I had to finish off the lead vocals and one of the lead vocals that had to be done was cliche, right? 
and up here at the farm, the house that we'd bought and moved into in basically 1989 was still getting done up. And it was being completely renovated. And my first wife was staying up here. One of the reasons we'd moved up to Scotland was to get away from a lot of crap down in Gerald's Cross. And we were basically coming up here to start a new life together. It was like, let's get out of London, let's get away from the pizzazz and the shite and, you know, the crap that had accumulated around us uh, at that time. And it was like, let's start again. So we came up here and the house was getting done up and I was down living in a flat in, uh, in London and I set this kind of two bedroom, one living room flat where we walked up to Turner Studios all the time, every day. Uh, with Frank. So Frank and I were kind of staying together. Um, Mickey was bouncing back between uh, being up here and being in London. But I mean, uh, I was down in London and I, I wanted to see the house. And uh, I said to my wife that I was going to come up at the weekend. And she said, no, you don't. I'm, I'm coming down next week. You know, let's just leave it to next week. And I said, I really want to see the house. And a long story very short, I got on a plane and I went to surprise her. And I didn't surprise her, I got the worst surprise I could have possibly have got. Because when I arrived at the house, there was somebody else here that had come up from London for the weekend. And uh, I was very angry. And um, it was uh, discovering that my wife was having an affair, was kind of, in the middle of all this, was kind of, it was devastating. And I had to go back down to London to sing the lead vocal on this song. and. Uh, and I remember going down there and being in um, Olympic Studios with John Kelly, and John knew exactly what was going on. I mean, it was obvious. I mean, I was uh, affected by everything. And, uh, and this is the thing with Cliché, and it's always been a strange song for me because, yes, it's a love song, but I can never escape what was going on, you know, when I actually sung that song. It is beautiful. And the thing is that, you know, I remember doing the sessions and uh, Tamara had come down and I remember walking out of Olympic Studios and she was in tears outside the recording studio and we basically got together and we agreed that we would both have another go at it and I'm glad we did because through that was born my daughter Tara and if we'd split then Tara would never have been born and my daughter is the most beautiful thing, the most wonderful thing that was, you know, that ever happened, you know, back then. Well, forever. She's just my daughter. She's wonderful and I love her dearly. And the song kinda has got a, a whole thing with me. I love the song and it was very heartfelt when it was written, but like I said, there's always this kind of thing that goes on in the back. I don't want to explain it anymore, but it's um it is still a love song. And I love singing it. Um, I love singing it as a love song. When I sang it at the Lemon Tree, it was great because it was the first time I'd, I'd sung it for a long time. And it is still, you know, the love song that I've written. And it still has Frank Usher's most beautiful and awesome guitar solo on it. And, uh, 
And it's a special song for a lot of other people. I mean, even when it, I, when somebody put up about cliche earlier on, there were so many people said, this was played at my wedding, this is played at my wedding. And it will always be a love song, no matter what the kind of hang-ons are from my side on it, it will always be a love song to so many people. And it will always remain probably one of the greatest love songs that I have ever written with Mickey and or with anybody in my, in my career. So, without any further ado, I shall give you the song. And on this weekend, when Valentine's Day happens, just remember your partner and just be close, be together, be forever, okay? This is cliche. And there's another big surprise to follow after this. But this is for all the lovers out there. Oh 
And when I sang that song, The Lemon Tree in Aberdeen, and every time I've ever sung it since, it's like the only person I ever think about when I sing it is my wife, Simona. So there. The words are hers now. Darling, yeah. it's your moment to basically try and sort the tech out now. We're going to play something because we thought we'd do this on Valentine's Day. You've never seen this. It's not my song. And what actually happened was that we were trying to work out a song that we were going to play at our wedding and we couldn't work out what to play. And, oh, no. <laughs> My wife seems to have the same problems as I have. No. No? Well, no. No, no. <laughs> it's just a Yeah. We're going to play a song. We were, I was actually, it was, it was my back, wasn't it? I was coming out of, it was, yeah. I was coming out after my back operation. And we were trying to, we were, we were both trying to go through songs that like kind of, we want to play. And I didn't want, I didn't want one of mine. You know, I really didn't want Lavender for God's sake, you know. And we were coming out and I'm trying to think, who was, what was the name of the DJ? We were listening to Radio Scotland and, uh, oh, I'm really bad now because I've forgotten his name. And it's, it's a programme I really love and, he was. He always picks a kind of theme, and p the listeners send in uh, songs or requests for songs. And we were driving out of the hospital, and we were just oh, coming. Sorry. No. No, it was the hospital. We were driving out of Christophen after the football. We were coming out of the hospital from Christophen after the football. Sorry, after the football. after the, the the operation, and uh, or I'd just been in the hospital. And it came on the radio. And I'd never heard this song before in my life. And the both of us looked at each other and we just went, this is our song, this is the dance, this is our wedding dance. And um, like I said, I'd never heard it before, but the lyric was absolutely stunning. And I thought we'd play this video for you because you've never seen it before. I don't know. How are you going to see it? If you'll see it, okay, you hear it. It's not on the kefs, so this is coming out of the TV, right? But um, this is for everybody on Valentine's Day, and this is one I wish I had written this lyric. It's just so beautiful, and it's by Ben Folds, right? And it's called Luckiest. And this is for you, wishing you all a very happy Valentine's Day when it comes along on Sunday. Um, don't forget. Yeah. Darling. Many things right the first time 
take. That's our song. So, that's it. <laughs> Have a lovely Valentine's Day. Take care. Got to get this right. Be safe. Have a lovely time. Be sensible. Love you all. Bye.